Welcome to the March 6th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1-13, through 13, and the sermon is entitled, God's Command for the Church, Stand Strong, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. I want to say to you as I get uh, on the runway to this sermon that, uh, you know, Bible scholars will tell you that all references to pride in the Bible are usually on the negative side. There's really not a reference to good pride in the Bible. Pride is one of those things that stands between us and God when it's self-centered. And obviously that is true. But I want to give a, a, a positive side to pride. I am so proud to see what God has done in this congregation over these years. I am proud to see the ministries that the Lord has blessed us through and with over the years. I'm proud in a positive way that we added, have added a new congregation through streaming to this congregation, a congregation that spreads throughout the world. It's amazing to me that you couldn't have said in 1982 that that would have ever been, that I would have believed you, but here we are today. I'm proud to see these young people leading us in worship today. I'm proud of what God is doing in Clifford Baptist Church and will continue to be proud uh, in days and years to come as how God is going to use us here. I'm thankful for that. We're going to continue on in a worship service with a sermon today. I want you to move ahead in a study that Paul wrote a letter to a fledgling church in the city of Thessalonica. I want you to turn your Bible with me to 1 Thessalonians today. We are moving in a sermon series through this, a very appropriate sermon series for this time in the church's pilgrimage. And I believe this, anytime you open the Bible, you are immersed in God's truth. You can let your Bible fall open to any page, anywhere, anytime, and put your finger, close your eyes, put your finger on a verse of Scripture. That is God's Word. It will meet a need in your life. It will feed you in some way. As I've said over and over again, you know, this is, God's Word is not in this book. God's Word is this book. Every word of it is inspired by our holy God. And anytime you open these pages, you know you're going to hear and see the Word of God. But listen, God's Word expands, and God's Word takes on deeper meaning when you understand the background and the setting for where that Word is directed when it was first written. That's certainly true today for 1 Thessalonians. I want us to get us to the same start here, the same foot as we begin uh, our journey of study today. As you know from previous sermons, Paul had developed a missionary team that would travel to preach the gospel and bring people to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. That missionary team had three primary missionary journeys. They primarily began on the continent of Asia, their home country, uh, the country where they grew up, the country that they knew. But on their second journey, God gave them a new direction for ministry. He asked them to leave the continent of Asia and to go to the continent of Europe, a largely untapped pioneer land, most of whom had never heard the name of Jesus Christ. So God moves the mission team preaching the gospel of Jesus from Asia to an untapped source in Europe. So they travel that 100-mile trip across the Aegean Sea, and they get off the boat onto the soil of Europe. And their first stop there was the city of Philippi. And to the team's joy, they preached the Lord Jesus Christ in Philippi. People were saved, beginning with Lydia and her family, and the, 
the crowd grew that came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and Paul and team put together the nucleus of a church in the city of Philippi. However, as that church got on its feet and got moving, the city leaders did not want a Jesus movement in Philippi, and so the mission team came under persecution. They were beaten, they were imprisoned, and they were run out of the city of Philippi because the city leaders did not want them there. They had to leave that little nucleus of a brand new church behind them because they were run out of the city. Did they just go home frustrated, beaten, saying, can't work here anymore, they're throwing us out of the city. No, they just move on to the next major city. And that, again, was a 100-mile journey westward to the city of Thessalonica. According to Acts chapter 17, the history book of your New Testament, the good news is people were saved also in Thessalonica as the mission team preached the good news of Jesus Christ. But city leaders hated the mission team in that city, and they were also persecuted and run out of the city. So again, they had to move on undaunted. They did move on. Rather than go back home to Asia, they went on forward in Europe. Undaunted, they moved forward to the city of Berea. What happened to the team on this third city? Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever stepped on or mowed over a nest of ground bees? I have. It's not a pleasant thing to run over or step on ground bees because they will rise up and they will chase you and they will sting you as you run away. In fact, we heard a story from Kelly Holmes this morning about almost losing all of his clothes in the middle of a town because of bees. But when Paul and his team left Thessalonica going to Berea, Berea was stirred up against them because the leaders of Thessalonica came behind them and stung them and run after them so that they would get to Berea. Already the city stirred up because they were coming into town. And so they faced opposition. Three cities of Europe in a row, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea, all three of the cities did not want them there. These missionaries were beaten, persecuted, and run out. Men simply preaching Jesus Christ. And they were grossly mistreated because they preached the gospel, the salvation of Jesus. But listen, they kept on serving. They kept on going. They kept on preaching. They would not go home in defeat. They would not go home in discouragement. They would not say, this is too hard. Everywhere we go in Europe, we're getting run out of the cities. So we're going to go home. Let all of Europe go to hell because we can't preach there. They did not do that. They moved on. They pressed on. They continued on preaching the good news of Jesus to so many people who came to him in salvation and even preaching Jesus to their enemies who would run them out of these cities. These missionaries would not forsake lost people. Friends, that says something to our church. In this day and in this age, we cannot forsake lost people. They surround us, they're in our community, they're in our world, and we have to go to them. I'm grateful today that we have a missionary among us who has served on foreign fields. She's on furlough right now. But I'm thankful that we have those who even go to foreign lands to take the good news of Jesus there. Bible students, you need to know that kind of history to understand what you're going to learn in 1 Thessalonians today. The gospel demands utter commitment. The gospel demands that you and I surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ with all we have and all we are. Anything less is demeaning to our Savior. We give Him everything, utter commitment. That's what this mission team did. That's what these early churches did. They laid down all of their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible never tells us 
to put selfishness ahead of sacrifice. The Bible never tells us that we're to put comfort over commitment, but rather we're to move forward in the gospel of the living Lord. Come what may, we're to go out with the good news of Jesus Christ. So after Paul is run out of these three cities, he ends up in Athens, and he's thinking about this little congregation that they had to leave behind in Thessalonica. Brand new baby Christians, brand new baby church in a very difficult, godless, idolatrous city, and there that little church was by itself, and Paul and his mission team could not stay to pastor them and to grow them and to help them get their feet on the ground. So he's worried about them. He knew they were young. He knew they were inexperienced. And he also knew that Satan would hammer this little congregation in a godless city. He knew that. He calls Satan the tempter in this passage that we will read today. So how could Paul help them? Well, that's the question we keep in our mind. How can I help this little congregation in Thessalonica? That's the mindset that we have as we open 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 today. Open that scripture with me, and we're going to look at the entirety of this chapter, so keep your Bible open. Let's look at the first seven verses. Paul then writing to this little church in Thessalonica, chapter 3, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. That's Paul speaking about himself. And sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know." For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. But now, when Timotheus came from you unto us, and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us, as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren... We were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. Keep your Bible open. As we think about those simple seven verses, basically what Paul is saying here is this. I'm here in Athens. I've been run out of these cities prior, and now I'm taking a little break here in Athens. But I can't get you, little church in Thessalonica, off my mind. I'm worried I'm anxious about you. I'm worried about how the city is treating you as you are getting your feet in ministry there. So what does Paul do? Well, he sends a trusted young man to check on that church in Thessalonica. Remember, Paul had invested his ministry in a young man whose name was Timothy. In fact, toward the end of his life, Paul passed the baton of ministry on to this younger minister whom he had trained up. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, he calls him his son in the ministry. He loves Timothy, a younger man, but he sends Timothy up to Thessalonica to check on this little church. He wants them to be established and built up through Timothy. He wanted Timothy to encourage them and to strengthen them and to comfort that little church. And in this passage, Paul says, as he writes this letter, remember when I was with you. Remember when my mission team was there in the city of Thessalonica. I told you, standing for Jesus would bring tribulation to my team. I told you that 
living for Jesus will not always be easy in a godless city. And I went so far as to tell you, little church, that Satan, the tempter, would tempt you as well. What does Satan, the tempter, want to give to a church? What does Satan, the tempter, want to do to a church? Basically, Satan wants the church to fail. He wants the church to believe we are of no account and our ministry is not being heeded, and so we're just going to close the doors. That's what the tempter wants us to do. That's what the tempter, Paul says, wanted the church in Thessalonica to do. He will tempt you to believe that your church is going to die. The tempter, Satan, is all about death. He wants you to believe your church is going to be so ineffective that it's going to die. Let's take a pause here. Listen, church. Here we are 2,000 years later. Satan still wants us to believe we're going to fail. Satan wants us to believe that we're going to be filled with such turmoil or strife that we're not going to be able to get out of these doors with ministry. Satan, the old tempter, would love to put up obstacles and roadblocks and negativity to stop this church. He would love for us to say, Clifford Baptist Church or any church that serves Jesus Christ is going to die. The ministry is not going to go forward. The church is not going to work together. The tempter would love to tempt us with that just as he did with Thessalonica. So what does that mean for Thessalonica and for us? We keep our eyes on Jesus. We keep our eyes on the one who keeps us in unity. We keep our eyes on the one who pours strength and blessing upon us. We keep our eyes on the one who sets the footsteps before us that we follow him in every step of our church's life and in our lives as individual Christians. The tempter would love for us to stop, but we keep our eyes on Jesus and we keep going forward That is the Word of God as Paul tells it to this church and, in essence, 2,000 years later to us. In Scripture here, Paul is in Athens worrying about this little church 200 miles away. But Timothy comes back. And Timothy gives this report to Paul. He says, this church is growing. This little church in Thessalonica is doing well. They're thriving. They're growing. They are ministering. They're doing exactly what Jesus has called them to do in this godless, idolatrous city. They're moving forward. They're bringing people to Christ. They're ministering in the city. Even in hard circumstances, Paul, Timothy says, God is blessing this little church in Thessalonica. He's letting them move forward, and Paul's heart is settled. There in Athens, Paul's heart is filled with joy because that little church for which he was so concerned is doing so well and moving forward in ministry in a hard city. I want you to press on in Scripture. Look at one verse with me. 1 Thessalonians 3, 8. If there's a verse to underline today, this is the verse. For now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. Underline that verse. It's a short little verse. For now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. That verse is the key to this passage. Paul says, you're living true life. You're living life as God intended it. You're living life with the purpose God gave you and to me if we stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus is our Lord, we have this sense of purpose. We have this knowledge that God is going to accomplish something through us because the Savior resides in our heart. The Spirit of God lives in us. We have a purpose for living. Living for the Lord and Savior is not a part-time job. It's not a partial commitment. 
It's giving your life fully, truly, and wholly to him to be used by him and to fulfill the purpose that he has carved out for you in life. Clifford Baptist Church and the church of which you're a part has a purpose carved out in the heart of God, the plan of God. And we have to keep our eyes on Jesus for that in full-time surrender. The most important word in that little verse 8 is the shortest one there, the word if. Circle that word if you can. For now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. You're truly living life as God intended if you honor and serve Jesus Christ. Everything about the purpose of life is connected with the word if. You're, you're going to live purpose. You're going to live with accomplishment. You're going to live knowing that God is using your life if you surrender completely to the Lord Jesus Christ. Be single-minded. Be focused on living for him. When that pattern takes over your life, then you're living, and then you're growing, and then you're making progress in God's plan in your life. You're getting what God intended your life to be. You're understanding it. You're getting it. I surrender to Jesus. I give him my all. I live for his purpose, and I want to be a minister for him. Well, as we come to the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul talks about the greatest thing that he can do for this little church in Thessalonica. He can't go personally to them. So Paul is thinking, what is the greatest thing I can do for this little church that I love? I saw most of these people saved as we preached the gospel there, as we founded a church there. I love this little church. I can't go there, so what's the most important thing I can do for them? And he says, I thank God, and I pray for you, little church. I pray for you. So let's look at these verses. First Thess, chapter 3, verses 9 through 13. Go to verse 9 with me. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 9. For what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So in Paul's prayers, as we see these closing verses of this chapter, really Paul makes three requests of prayer for this little church in Thessalonica. Here's the first request. He prays that their faith will grow. He prays that on an ongoing basis that the faith of this little church will grow. Look at verse 10. Night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. He said, I'm praying for perfection in your faith. I want your faith to grow, to be perfect in the will of God. So Paul prays, God perfect this little church's faith. Help them be strong in witnessing. Help them to reach out to a godless community. Help them to be strong. Help them to be courageous. But doesn't that speak to us? That our faith be perfect? That we are on the goal? That we are going to see the Lord continue to use this church and our faith is perfected day by day? God help our faith in these years, to be strong and courageous in this community and in this world, just as it was in Thessalonica 2,000 years ago. In this day, God help us to be a strong, growing church in our faith. 
Help us to be strong in recognizing what godly marriage is. Help us to be strong in living what godly morality is. Help us to be strong in living the lifestyle that God sets forth for us through His Holy Word. You know, the times are getting more challenging in the way that we live for the Lord. Do you know that? That the days are getting more challenging day by day as we take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. The world is changing around us. And yet, the Lord is telling us, you don't change, you live my word. In Canada today, there is a law that declares that our sexual identity that is given to us by God at birth is a myth. That it's a fairy tale. That God assigned a certain gender to you and to me. And it is against the law in Canada for a pastor or anyone else to counsel someone back to their God-given gender. There's actually a prison term connected with it. If you counsel someone back to their original gender God gave to them, that's amazing. It's called conversion therapy. There's a law against it. I imagine one day to come there will be a law in the United States against it as well. And yet God says, stand strong that I have given you an identity in my grace and you are created in the image of God, male and female alike. And God wants you to be who you are in His image. And that can begin when Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior. And then we become the image and we grow to be more like our Savior every single day. Our culture is headed in all kinds of different scattered directions away from God. And God tells us, stay true to me. Stay true to me. Stay on the path with me. Stay where I'm taking you. Will we stand on the truth of the Bible? Will we stand strong on the Word of God? We need to make a commitment to that church, just as Paul asked the church at Thessalonica to make that commitment. Here's the second request Paul prays for this little church. Look at verse 12. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. Simply put, Paul says, church. Love people. Love all people. It's easy to love those church members who are seated with you in that little church. It's easy for you to love those people who are lovable in your life. But Paul says, I want you, church, to love all people, even your enemy, even those who want to destroy your church. Love them. Have a passion for their soul. Have a passion that they come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Love others, even those who don't love you in return. Love all people. Amazingly, the love of Christ can bring down walls of barriers. Amen? The love of Christ can reach people. And that's a special word for us today. Maybe it's a special word for you today that you need to love that unlovable person in your life, whoever that might be. But Paul says, church, love all people. Desire, have a passion for all people to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's the context of your ministry. Not just the ones you like, but you love all people. Here's the third prayer request that Paul makes for this little church. Look at verse 13. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. In other words, he says, Christian believers, 
live a holy life, unblameable in holiness. Live a life that is above reproach. Live a life that honors Jesus Christ. Live blamelessly. Live honestly. Live to be trustworthy. Don't be drawn off course with the stupid worldly stuff that goes on around you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Be single-minded for the Savior and live for Him alone. Live to honor Him. Well, church, those were tough marching orders for a little church in Thessalonica 2,000 years ago, but they remain tough marching orders for us today. Even in our changing world, our changing society, a world that has war, a world that has trouble, a world that has tumult, a world that has atheism, a world that is turning against the Lord Jesus Christ. We live for Him there. And we're to live that life outside of these doors to take Jesus there. What we have in this place is not a game. It's not a social gathering. It's not something that we do Sunday by Sunday. This is life, as Paul says here. This is life. This is true life if we honor the Savior. And we have to see it that way. We don't live to hate the world. We don't live to avoid people. Lost people are simply lost. They might be hateful, but they're also lost. And they need Jesus. We need to take him there. We live to bring the love of Christ. Church, stand strong on that. You know, today... I must say that this is a very, very bittersweet moment in my life and Gwen's life. Carrie and Gabe and family are here today. This is a, a weird, hard transition, really. But I want you to know, as uh, Pastor Search Committee makes their recommendation today, church goes through change. Church will always go through change. Church will go through change of leadership. Church will go through change of ministry. Church will go through changes of who does what. That's true. Change is part of human life. That's the way human life works. But it's really not about the leadership. It's not really about the ministry. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Him. We keep our eyes on Him. He will guide us through the changes. He will guide us through the ways that we are to give the gospel to the world, even when the days are changing. That's His promise as we keep our eyes on Him. It's all about Jesus. Church, we're going to do this together. And we know the Lord is going to bless it. But today, here's my primary question. If you're here or you're on the stream and you've never come to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, do you know you need to change? Do you know there's something better in your life? Do you know that you need Jesus in your heart? Do you know there's a better way to live? It's living with purpose. There, there are so many people out there who think that they can create a life of purpose by making a million plus dollars. That's not purpose. That doesn't bring happiness or joy. Living for Jesus Christ is the one thing in life that brings you fulfillment and joy and peace because your life belongs to Him. Choose Jesus because He first chose the cross and He bled and He died and He gave His life down there to forgive you and to save you and to promise you eternal life. Please hear me today. That's the truth above all the other chatter of the world. That's the truth above everything else that you know in the world. Jesus Christ loves you, died for you, is risen again that you might have life. It's the one eternal decision that you can make 
when you accept him and receive him as your Lord and your Savior, when you lay down your sin and say, Lord, I am a sinner and I am separated from you and I know the only way for me to be united with you once again is for Jesus Christ to forgive me because he took my place on the cross. I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you all I am. I just want to give it up to you today and give everything I have to you. That's the way you're saved. Not giving him a piece, not coming in a partial way, but laying it all down at the foot of the cross. Is there someone here, someone on stream, who needs to simply lay it all down at the foot of the cross and completely, without reservation, give your life to him? Asking him to be your Savior, your Lord, and your purpose for living. Today is the day that he will receive you as his son or daughter if you say yes to him as Savior. What good news that is. And church, remember, that is the news that we take into the world because there are so many who need to hear it. As we come, I pray that we will rededicate our lives to and all the changes that might come in our future, that we will keep our eyes on Jesus because it's all about him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for these moments. Bless us, Lord. Right now, I pray that you will not take our minds anywhere else but just wanting to surrender to you. For, for believers, brothers and sisters here, Lord, we want to surrender to you. We want to surrender our church to you today and in days ahead. Father, if there's one who needs Jesus as Lord and Savior, I pray he or she will surrender their life to you. But bless us in these moments, Father, a very important moment as we come before you, saying, Lord, I give you my all, either as a believer or to give him your all as a sinner in need of a Savior. Bless us in these moments, in Jesus' name. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.